Well, our preacher today is Pastor Steve Myers, and we're excited to have him come and read his script, the scriptures that uh, he's going to be preaching from, and then take the word. Steve, come. God bless you. How's, are we on? Very good. Um, our Old Testament passage this morning will be found, well, it's not... It's Hebrews chapter 11. I'll be reading some selected verses from verses 1 through 16. Uh, you're welcome to turn there. I'll be reading verses 1 through 4, verse 6, verses 8 through 10, and then 13 through 16. Listen here to God's word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks." Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. Our second New Testament passage is found in the epistle of 1 John. And we'll be reading verses 12 through 24. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Listen here to God's word. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, and just as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Amen. And our primary text for this morning is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll begin at verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Of course, Paul is giving instructions here to Timothy, who is pastoring the church in Ephesus. And this instruction has great import for us today. Listen here to God's word. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. 
But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen and amen. This time I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that we can come into your presence with thanksgiving in our hearts for so great a salvation which was purchased with the precious blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can acknowledge that and embrace it because of the work of your Holy Spirit that has made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. And we pray that the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of the living God, would speak to us through this, your holy word today. And that, Lord, you would draw us to a closer, more intimate, more loving relationship with you and a more obedient walk with you as well. To the glory of your name we ask it. Amen. All of us, are faith wanderers in this life. We are either wandering, if you will, to trust and obey the Lord, or we may be wandering away from the Lord. And this text, this primary text here in 1 Timothy 6, shows us very graphically and clearly what those two distinctions really look like in the lives of people. And it's important for us to realize that because this letter that Paul 
wrote to Timothy was for the express purpose of telling the church how it's supposed to conduct itself. In fact, the key, the primary verse, if, if there is one in this particular letter, is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15. Turn with me there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, through inspiration, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So the reason why the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to young Timothy, who is actually pastoring the church in Ephesus, is so that they can know how they are to conduct themselves as the people of God in God's holy assembly. But he also writes this later on in chapter 4, in warning Timothy that there will be those who will oppose this purpose. Notice what it says there in chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. You see, the Apostle Paul was showing Timothy right off the bat that this ministry that he's involved with, with the church in Ephesus, is going to have those who are going to come in and they are going to deviate and move away from the conduct that Christian people are supposed to demonstrate and live by according to God's word. And we shouldn't be surprised about this because back in Acts chapter 20, remember the the apostle Paul told the elders of the Ephesians church that these people can, will be creeping into the congregation. They will be like savage wolves that will come in and try to disperse and separate through false doctrine the body of Christ. So, when I said to you earlier that we all are in this place as a faith wanderer, There are those who are wandering away from the Lord as well as those that are wandering to the Lord. And in this chapter, 1 Timothy 6, Paul outlines how this, not only how this false uh, walk uh, is is actually uh, presenting itself, but who is actually involved in the process. You see, in verses 3 through 10 of this particular chapter, Paul is laying out that there are false faith wanderers 
who exchanged God's truth and God himself for error and greed. In fact, in verse 3 of this particular chapter, Paul outlines for us the tenets of false teaching. In verse 3, he says that they teach other doctrines not supported in Holy Scriptures. In fact, he calls them here they as different doctrines. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says that they are strange doctrines. And the word there gives the idea of teaching something other than what is the sound, understood truths of God. They are teaching other doctrines that are not in keeping with what Paul has been teaching and preaching in regard to the gospel. The second point that he makes here is that they're not only advocating different doctrine, but they disagree with the sound and healthy teachings that are contained in the scriptures. And then the third thing he points out here in verse 3 is that they reject the thought, the premise that there is to be coming out of the lives of God's people, holy conduct. In other words, they don't believe that the scriptures are supposed to train God's people in godliness. And this does not only come up in the church of Ephesus, but it is a problem that Paul addresses throughout most of his epistles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6, I mean 16, and we'll see Paul making reference of this in verses 17 through 19. Romans chapter 16, beginning at verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not to the Lord Jesus Christ, but to their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. This strange teaching that deviates from the sound teaching that Paul and the other apostles were giving to the church during that time was actually filtering out into other churches by these false teachers. And we are told very clearly in this passage that these different teachings, these strange teachings, do not conform with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, nor do they conform with the doctrines that can, are to conform us to godliness. These are the tenets of this false teaching or this false faith wandering that is happening in the church. But in verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul makes clear that there are modes in which these false teachers operate in. They are proud. And he says they are conceited, that they know nothing. They are puffed up 
in their own conceit. And Paul says, actually, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that this is one of the vices that defines people in the last days. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power. The second thing he brings out here in verse 4 is that they are argumentative over speculative issues. They have morbid interests in desires to argue over decisive issues. And they quarrel over meanings of words. You know, I can remember a time in my own life when I was in seminary that I would be guilty of quarreling over words. Because it was a a puffed-up experience that I could go against another seminarian and say, no, it doesn't mean this, it means this. And quarrel over who was right and who was wrong. Well, these false teachers, in their mode, make it a practice to do that. I eventually had to repent of that attitude. And a lot of times we can get so stuck on the peripheral things, the peripheral issues that we forget the meat of what it means to follow Christ. Even the Apostle Paul brings out in Corinthians that indeed, that just as the devil deceived Eve by his craftiness, so that we also can be pulled away from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. And in every respect, these false teachers were blowing smoke with these exercises because what they wanted to do is blow this smoke so that they could live their own selfish and godless lives, which is apparent by the way in which they dispute by their abusive language, by their evil suspicions, by their constant friction. Paul addresses them in these verses as really traitors of God and of what true religion really is. The shame of it all is that Paul seems to indicate in this verse that these false teachers had the word of God taught to them, had the word of God explained to them, and they went away from it. They deserted God's truth, and they pursued these other forms of knowledge. And what they became is depraved in their minds and deprived of the truth, as it says there in verse 5. They became apostate. And today, beloved, that apostasy, that false teaching, has entered into the church today. I'll give you an example. 
How many of you have ever turned on the television set and saw TV evangelists claim that people will have prosperity and healing if anyone will give them money for their ministry? Nowhere in the scriptures is that ever taught. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul says very clearly, in fact, he tells us that the Holy Spirit is warning us about this danger of apostasy. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding lion, men who forbid marriage and abstaining from foods. It's twisted teaching. It may have elements of truth, but it's wrong. Because they make it conditions for being saved and sanctified. And though even these two examples of being single and fasting are taught in the scriptures, they are not prerequisites for your salvation. And these twisted teachings are compounded by their attitude of their obsession for, with money that actually converts them into becoming greedy. Verse 9 and 10 says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a grief. Jesus himself said, you cannot serve two masters. For either you will love the one, you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In essence, as we look at the tenets as well as the modes of these false teachings, the essence of these false teachers and those who follow them, what they really want is to use God. They want to fleece the church, and they're doing it for their own selfish interest and ends. And in this way, they're breaking the third commandment of God. Thou shalt not name the, uh, in vain God's name. And they're using God's name for their own ends. Well, we've looked about what false faith wanderers look like. The rest of the chapter deals with the true faith wanderers who embrace God, who embrace God's truth, and who reject error and greed. In fact, he says to uh, Timothy here, O oh, man of God, what a great declaration. You know, that phrase is only given and said in the New Testament to Timothy, O oh, man of God. In verses 11 and following, he gives them seven things. He gives him seven things that he must do in order to be that man of God. 
to be a true faith wanderer and to lead others to God and to his truth. He says in verse 11, the first thing he needs to do, he needs to flee these things. In other words, make a strategic withdrawal from all these evil things. The second thing that he says in verse 11 is as he flees, he needs to pursue the righteousness that comes from God through faith. He needs to have, indeed, a desire to do what's right for God and for man. There needs to be a pursuit in the godliness of God, meaning he needs to be reverent to God and seek the things that God likes. He needs to be a man of faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. He needs to embrace God's love for him and share that love in a way in which he embraces God intimately and loves his neighbor. And he needs to persevere in the midst of the trials and difficulties that they were facing then and we face now. And he needs to do it with gentleness, generously kind, to all. And then he says in verse 12, he needs to fight the good fight of faith. He needs to put on the whole armor of God, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, and use the weapons of God that are spoken about there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. And he needs to take hold of the eternal life that he has. He needs to put a strong uh, grip on those matters associated with his new life in Christ, which includes having a heavenly and godly and eternal perspective on life, because it is our future, is it not? And they need to keep the command of God with the commandment of God without stain or reproach. And this signifies that they need to be people of the word. They need to have in their minds, in their hearts, and understand the teachings, the whole counsel of God, and this, the necessity of being biblically informed so that they can address these issues in the world. And when they do that, they'll be able to give godly instruction, verses 17 and 18. Godly counsel and instruction from the reservoir of having God's word in their hearts and in their minds, transforming them. And then finally, as Paul uh, encourages Timothy, they, they need to guard what has been entrusted to them. We've been given a treasure. This gospel has been deposited, and we're entrusted with it. And we need to know, as Paul was telling Timothy that there are evil opponents who will seek to malign us and God's message of truth. And therefore, we need to be vigilant to protect it. Now, how does this show up, these seven points of fleeing the things, of pursuing righteousness, of fighting the good fight of faith, of taking hold of eternal life, of keeping the commandment, of giving godly instruction and guarding what has been trusted. How does this really show up in life? Well, I'd like to show you this clip that will show you an exact example of how 
we are to live true faith wandering. You prayed and believed your whole life, and here you are. Explain that to me. What do you say to people that are offended by your show? Because you pray to Jesus in every episode. If we disown him, he'll disown us. When a 12-year-old watches his mother dying of cancer, a God who would allow that is not worth believing in. Life is really a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Name? Uh, Wheaton. Josh Wheaton. Philosophy 150. You might want to think about a different uh, instructor. Come on, man, it can't be that bad. Think uh, Roman Coliseum. People cheering for your death. I am Professor Radisson. This is Philosophy 150. I would like to bypass senseless debate altogether and jump to the conclusion which every sophomore is already aware of. There is no God. All that I require from each of you is that you fill in the papers I've just given you with three little words. God is dead. Mr. Wheaton, is something wrong? I can't do what you want. I'm a Christian. If you cannot bring yourself to admit that God is dead, then you will need to defend the antithesis. Think of Jesus as my friend. You think Jesus is God? I don't want to disappoint him. So your acceptance of this challenge may be the only meaningful exposure to God and Jesus they'll ever have. See, to me, he's not dead. I don't want anyone to get talked out of believing in him just because his professor thinks they should. Mr. Wheaton, are you ready? We're going to put God on trial. Do you think you're smarter than me, Wheaton? Do not try to humiliate me in front of my students. In that classroom, there is a God. I'm him. This experiment is over. You get to decide who the most important person in your life is. Me, Professor Radisson. But I have to do this thing. Like it's something that God wants me to do. I, I can't just turn away from it. You just want to ensnare them in your primitive superstition. What I want is for them to make their own choice. That's what God wants. You have no idea how much I'm going to enjoy failing you. Yeah, but who are you really looking to fail? Me or God? God's not dead, he's surely alive. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. God's not dead, he's surely alive. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. Science supports his existence, you know the truth. So why do you hate him? It's a very simple question. Why do you hate God? God's not dead, he's surely alive. He's living on the When I was uh, preparing this message, my wife encouraged me to watch this movie, God's Not Dead. Um, one of the things that became very clear to me is that the person who was standing up against his philosophy professor was a person who was living out these seven principles. And he was willing to stand for the Lord despite the opposition that he was facing. And the thing that concerns me today, not only for my own life, but I think for all of our lives, is that there are many professing Christians today that are living more like non-Christians in a false faith wandering than in a true faith wandering. Possibly it's because we're sort of all in the same soup or following other Christians that are living in the same way. Or it may be that 
we've been misinformed that God desires Christ's blood-bought people to no longer live for themselves, but to become Christ-like in the world. Or it might be that maybe we've been deceived into thinking that now that we're saved, that our sins are forgiven, that we can live the way we want. Whatever the reasons or excuses may be, those living in this false mode of faith may be very surprised when they hear Jesus say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We need to remember, beloved. We need to take to heart and put into faith practice the words of Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Amen.